And we are live with our 148th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my lovely co-host, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, you know, Ken and I were off last week because of life stuff. Uh, you know, we had James Kettle on a couple weeks ago, but we are back to talk about especially recent news because it seems like the world's on fire, um, or at least the Facebook world, right? Social media world's on fire. Uh, it, it's back now, but uh, yesterday was an interesting day. There's a couple of things to talk about. Um, as far as meeting us or uh, like actually interacting with the community, please join Slack if you get the opportunity. Uh, jump in and join the conversation there. Uh, otherwise, I will be at both uh, Saint Con in a couple of weeks here in Utah, if you're going to be around, or Beside Salt Lake City is going to be in December. So both of those uh, will have some sort of a live presence going. So we're going to be there. Um, I'll be giving out stickers and swag and everything else. Um, but yeah, outside of that, uh, we have been talking about courses and other things, um, but nothing is settled yet right I, I think life has just kind of gotten in the way of the last couple of months right Ken oh my god yeah yeah it's been um yeah it's been pretty uh pretty hectic that's for sure yeah <laughs> so yeah um, but and it's not and I will say like I still have probably personally another month of, of hectic stuff before it, it starts to calm down but uh you know as we and then and for those watching you might notice I have a different angle today. It's because I'm moving. I'm literally just like moving uh, all my stuff to a different place. So yeah, it's just, uh, there's going to be some, um, probably going to be some podcast stuff where I'm just like in random places for the next month. <laughs> I, I still, I still think my favorite was when we had the, the first podcast with Stefan and he was honestly like in the back of a police car. I, like, I mean, I think he was at a rest stop in the middle of I don't know, Maine or New York state somewhere. Right. Like just decided he was going to do the podcast with us as he was driving. I don't know, whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah it was like dark out. I think it's snowing or something. I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Know, that was fun. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. it's going to be a little bit more of that hectic chaos for about another month and then things will settle. So yeah. I, hopefully, I hope. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. So. It'll be okay. Right. We'll work through it. I mean, there's always stuff to talk about. There's always interesting topics and, um, I mean, the news in and of itself has been super interesting. So, um, and, and, and the one that I've had from a lot of non-technical people is, uh, Facebook going down. Right. So maybe we start there. I don't know what your thoughts are on it. Um, I, I never thought I'd have a discussion with, you know, my wife and my daughter about what BGP is, <sighs> but that happened yesterday, right? Uh, because of Facebook going down. Um, and you got to feel for those guys. I know in some of the Slack channels that we're in, we actually have, you know, a couple of people that have, I, I mean, in, uh, the industry is pretty small when it comes to engineers and security people. And so we always know someone or someone who knows someone that works at Facebook. So I'm sure, you know, I'm hopefully they're, they're, they're recuperating today. Um, but what were your thoughts on that uh, specifically, Ken? Facebook went down? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a few things to unpack there. Because, like, Craigslist Security had a pretty, uh, I don't know, actually, I might have a link up already um, to post. 
okay, cool. Yeah. So to your point, um, yeah, there was a BGP update that knocked everything offline. BGP being a major routing protocol, um, you know, we're talking like worldwide ramifications for screwing that up, um, which is what happened. But I think there's a, I think the interesting, there's a couple, there's a few interesting things. So what first popped into my head, what, or what I think everybody noticed was there were a lot of ancillary services that are dependent upon uh, Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram um, that just didn't work. So for instance, and I didn't try. I don't know if you went on tried to go on your Oculus. Yeah, I can't. like you had any time to go on your Oculus. Neither of us have any time for that. But um, if we had tried to go on our Oculus, uh, those wouldn't have worked. There's um, apparently, yeah. Thank you yeah. for sharing the link. Um, there's some other services detailed in Krebs on security that just were knocked offline that were, like I said, completely dependent on um, Facebook. I, I think a lot of uh, seller services. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of stuff that was affected. But I think also what was interesting is re in reading that article um, was that access that uh, reportedly some Facebook employees couldn't even access the building, you know, because many of their internal tools, their badging system, so many of these uh, services rely on being able to access that Facebook domain. And um Essentially, when you know the BGP update went out, no, nothing on on Facebook-owned domains was accessible, which means like the badging system, the various internal chat systems, the tooling they have, everything, everything collapsed. And so I think, uh, I mean, to unpack that, you know, first things obviously there's got to be a little bit more resilient redundancy. Maybe move off, move some of those systems off of a uh, Facebook domain. <laughs> <laughs> probably be a lesson learned from all of this. So, uh, I, and I'm I'm laughing, but I am. I you know, yeah, sorry to you folks who were affected by that. I mean, but it, but I mean, I, I think now that it's over, maybe we can take a step back and yeah, learn something a, from it. Hopefully, chuckle. I, yeah. So, like the thing that I was trying to explain to like the the non technical that we're asking right was. I mean, the internet internet is basically built upon a gentleman's agreement that happens between like the, the way that BGP works. Right. And, and it's very interesting to see how much like BGP is being discussed on, you know, lobsters. I've seen like Wikipedia re, you know, retweeted about like what BGP is. Um, but the technology and the protocol that exists, right. Like, I mean, this came about even kind of before TCP, this whole BGP protocol, the way that the routers work and they declare what IP spaces they're in. And there's there's all sorts of attacks that go on with this. Now, this wasn't necessarily a, an attack, um, but it was almost like a self-denial of service that happened because of the configurations that were pushed out. And at times we just forget about how, how much we are dependent on these technologies and we're abstracting ourselves away from kind of this base level of uh, implementation, these base implementations, this base, uh, these base protocols. And so when it really does go down, it smacks us pretty hard because we're not building resiliency in somebody made a, a good comment about it that, you know, probably about a quarter of the Facebook engineers affected by it had been at Facebook for a year or less, right? Mm, yeah. And I, I mean, 
would they know, right? What's going on with the configurations? Is there, you know, at some point did a middle manager decide that they didn't need the redundancy because it was too expensive? They didn't need out of band management. They didn't need to use something outside of a Facebook domain to actually get to any of these devices, right? Like, I, I, like I'm sure some of that has gone into it because there's just there's a a very real cost to it uh, to actually implement something in that manner. Uh, so I like I I I mean it's it was entertaining from outside because I didn't have to deal with it right. But I do feel for those guys as far as crap. You know, there's going to be some some administrators, some engineers, and some security people that are dissecting this down to the very level of crap, how did this update go out? Who approved it? And why did it happen? Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that they'll be fairly public about it, but I don't have a lot of faith there. So we can we can all learn and improve. But, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would imagine site, reliab site reliability engineers, SREs, from around, you know, some of the major tech companies are going to start looking at all right, how dependent are we on our own systems? So if there is an outage of our domains or, cause you know, my first thought was to your point about gentlemen's agreement, it was gonna be either VGP or VNS. I think I might've even said that to you this morning. Like, was that you or I was maybe, no, maybe, no, I might've been talking to John uh, when, I, when I said that, but um, yeah, I, like my first thought was, is it was gonna be VGP or DNS related. Um, but anyways, to your point, I think just like there's going to be a lot of um, not just at Facebook, but outside Facebook, um, various companies, you know, kind of looking at their own redundancy and uh, uh, backup, you know, disaster plans and, and such. But um, I think well, I mean, what's yeah. really. Oh, go ahead. No, no. I was going to say there's a reason why when we talk about risk, when we do a risk assessment, when we're talking about threat, that business continuity planning is a real thing. Mm -hmm. Right. It as is. much as we kind of discount it, uh, it's super important to, to keeping a business online. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your thread. No, no. And I mean, I'll, I'll get back to that. But just real quick, like I, I think to run with that, I do think uh, tabletops are super important for this reason, um, being creative but practical. Um, I think I think tabletops are, are a really great exercise for, for your response, obviously. Um, can also be used to preempt some of these things by looking through your first case scenarios, creating tickets to address those items. So tabletops are important. Back to what I was originally saying, um, I had worked for, in 2007, I want to say, for uh, charter communications. And I worked at a uh, master head end is what it was called. And, um, you know, essentially that provided internet service to, we, you know, it's like three of us. We had a sort of a main uh, routing switching guru. And then there was two of us that were kind of like apprentices. Um, and so well, a couple things there. So we provided service to Reno, Lake Tahoe, things like that, um, internet service. Uh, so it was a pretty, like our master head was responsible for a lot of the internet. I have to tell you, to and this isn't even BGP level, this is just, you know, just regular routing and, and network changes. Um, they required like pretty much triplicate in all forms so like the apprentices we would go to our um gosh i remember maybe his name was tom or something like that we go to he was like the main manager we go to him uh we we sit down we review all of our configs um then the configurations had to be run up to like a intermediary layer be between us and um some corporate off-site hq 
and then that um once our main manager and the intermediary like went through the configs and approved it then there was a like i said it, it was a triple kit so there was like a, a third entity and who knows there might have been more to all this but uh that's just what i knew and then that third entity looks through and then reviews the configs and gives the final approval to make any changes it, it takes time it takes a lot of con uh, a lot of eyes on those configurations and we're not even talking about things that are as uh like I said, not all of those things are super critical. Um, for any time that we wanted to switch out gear, there were ramifications because some of that stuff was VoIP and relied on having, um, or had regulations rather about uh, 911 and emergency calls. Like this stuff's really serious. To make to make changes, it's, it's, it's non-trivial. There's real ramifications. So I guess going back to what, with all that in mind, going back to what you were saying, it is pretty interesting that a change of this significance went through, was approved, um, and caused this kind of an outage. I, honestly, it, it's 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 um, mistakes happen for sure, for sure. But you would think that it, uh, like, I'm just super curious because you would think this would be caught. I mean, unless they don't have as, you know, serious of a review. Uh, yeah. yeah, I, I, I mean that that that's the big question, right? Is like like you're saying, you know, I, I remember something like this happening at the bank when I was there. You know, this was you know umpteen years ago, um, and you know somebody pushing out a change to a firewall that basically just took down everything, right? Um, because right. it didn't actually get uh, approved properly. You know, somebody just cowboying their way through a configuration change because they, th they thought they knew what they were doing. And they did, to be fair, but they didn't consider all the ramifications and it didn't get, you know, peer reviewed, basically. And so, and, and I think that's what we're running into is, okay, what is the process around these technical changes? Because a lot of people can make these technical changes. And I know that there's guys that are, I, I mean, I'm sure the guys that pushed it out had nothing but the best of intentions and somehow a bug got, got introduced that didn't get caught. Uh, I don't know if it was, that's what I'm interested in, right? Like, was it some sort of linting error? Was it just some sort of random, hey, we just like, gave up our IP space via BGP or right? like uh, I, there's so many, there's so many things that can go wrong at that level. And again, where it comes to that kind of gentleman's agreement between BGP and DNS, the way that that all functions, uh, the caching is a huge issue. So once they deregister themselves from that IP space, getting it back is why it took so long, right? Like mm. I, realistically, that's, that's what's happening is, yeah, we, we can, you know, make this change, but once we reintroduce our IP space or whatever it is, or DNS caching, right, you've got to wait for caching timeouts and everything else to hit to actually take it back over. So it's, yeah, it was a, I don't, I, it was, it was interesting to see. Now I, I, I know like in the, you know, the conspiracy theory space, right? Everybody's like, oh, it's because the, you know, the, whistleblower or whatever talked about Facebook like that same day or what, you know, I, I, I doubt that that's really the issue. Right. Uh, but yeah, until we get a full, you know, you know, rundown of what actually happened, you know, people, people will be saying that. It's probably the single most productive day at any company uh, <laughs> in the last like decade. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden everybody's back on Twitter. Right. That was, yeah. Like without memes, what are we doing? You know, what's this all about?
Yeah. No, I know. I, I <laughs> we were actually closing on the, the new property yesterday and it was like, uh, um, that's how I found out was my wife was like, you know, telling me that Facebook was down and everything. And I tried to go to it. I'm like, Oh yeah. What did Larry say here? If you cut off your management, it's kind of hard to get back into devices that they can take unless you get a local peering point. That is yeah. absolutely true. Um, yeah. Remote connectivity relies on connectivity. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, getting, getting physical access to those devices and then updating the configs. Uh, I could tell you, I I'm sure it's nothing like what it used to be, but, my, I, I used to do a lot of work with Alcatel and Cisco and what a nightmare, what a nightmare when, when things would go horribly wrong. Um, speaking about like locally connecting and also back then there were all these proprietary connectors. So like Alcatel had their own type of connectors, Cisco had theirs, you had to have these special cables and then, you know, hope that your uh, device you're connecting with you know, actually could support that protocol and yeah, your RS RS two thirty two ports and your exactly. like yeah yeah the console ports to actually get in and then yeah, aggregating and that serial updates so you're like pushing an image because like for Alcatel you'd have to re you'd have to literally to fix it you'd have to re push the base OS image basically over a serial port. And if, if any, at any point, there's a little jiggle on the cable or anything goes wrong, start over. And by the way, we're talking about Alcatel switches that, that um, it's one thing, you know, people get definitely annoyed with their regular internet, but when we're talking about in a classified also environment, zipper uh, type, zippernet type stuff, then it's like, you know, it's no joke when you're out to sea and like nobody on the secret network can talk, you know? Um, but anyways, yeah, just I, I'm sure it's easier now, but man, I just I'm having this is a, there's a reason I do AppSec now and not networking. <laughs> not networking <laughs> We're so lucky to live primarily at layers like, I don't know, five through seven. Seven. Through yeah, seven. exactly. Yeah, versus but then, uh, lower yeah, level stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, these these are the situations, though, when I'm like reminded, oh, yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, we, we, we dealt with that years ago and was never that fun. But the out of band stuff, right? Like I, I imagine there was a couple of uh, you know admins, like network admins, network engineers that were just dropped onto planes to to various uh, locations yesterday as quickly as they could get there uh, to get oh, those yeah. configs replaced, right? I, I can't imagine walking through some of the data center monkeys on, hey, this is how you go into the console and replace this configuration. I, yeah. Oh no. Yeah. What a what a rough day, but uh... luckily I don't think anyone noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, it's <laughs> terrible. No, that's um, yeah, it's it's a rough day, but um, I think it's like at least interesting for uh, many reasons. Um, there's going to be probably a lot to unpack there over the next week. There'll probably be a lot of um, yeah, probably be a lot to unpack there. So, resume generating event, yeah, yeah, uh, very true, very true. And I'm sure there's security related things that come of it. Um, I, you know, not it's not super obvious to me now, but um, yeah, I've also spent a ton of time thinking about the security ramifications here. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's DevOps, DevSecOps, right? Like it, it all fits under that. Like, how could we detect? How could we prevent this from happening? Right? Because um, mm. I mean, a denial of service event affects both of those, and yeah. Anyway, so I, I think we've probably you know beat that uh, story up enough. Um, 
Sure. Yeah. What, you know, I, I, the, the next thing that I have on my list was frack. And I just noticed oh. this this morning. Um, I know there's, the if you want. okay. Yeah. I know that um, there's all sorts of different, uh, you know, locations that we go to get data and to learn about hacking topics. Um, I have a, you know, uh, I don't know, a place in my heart for frack. Um because it was the only thing available when I was doing like uh, BBS, right? That really talked about security and introduced us to, you know, uh, stack smashing and buffer overflows and how that actually happened, how it all worked behind the scenes, NMAP, um, like original iterations of all of these security tools were all released through Frack, so it's really interesting to see a new version or a new, a new, uh, yeah, a new a new instance pop up, right? Um, a new and oh, great! Th- thanks for defining bulletin board <laughs> systems, you <laughs> asshole. <laughs> Ouch! No, I'm just gonna go crawl back into my corner now. I believe it's an old, old wooden ship. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anyways. Um, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Good times. Yeah. So, so Frack, there is a, uh, I'm going to call it a, a new issue of Frack that's out. This is the first one in five years. And I haven't consumed it all yet. I started poking around. Um, introduction is really good. The stuff that there was like some, uh, there's a, a an article on attacking JavaScript engines that I started to read. There's also another one, another one on the YouTube security scene by Live Overflow, who's you know basically doing hacking on uh, YouTube. And like, I miss the old kind of hacker zine. Uh, space right i know we have medium i know i have other ways of getting you know getting this information out um but some of those articles even you know even starting to read them now i'm like oh crap i've got to actually do research to understand what's going on and implementing some of the ideas and some of the exploits that were in frack were very instrumental to me personally and in getting into security just in general and being interested in it because of the puzzles that, is, that are solved in there, because of the way that it actually, uh, I mean, it just spoke to like this whole kind of generation that's out there. Um, and I know, you know, 2600 is still around too. They don't have quite the same cachet they did back in the, the BBS or the bulletin board system days. Um, but uh, yeah, check it out, right? Like it's a, it's a, it's a good resource to have. I did, you know, tweet it out as well, but um yeah, anybody that's been around for a while, it, it feels very nostalgic to me, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I well, in reading through this, it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, um, it's it, they talk about in the first couple paragraphs how, um, and I actually think this is a good point that they make. It's um, everybody, well, I guess you could, I don't want to go into like what ego really is versus the ego that we call ego, but I'll just stick with what people call ego, right? Like egotistical. Um, And 
I don't think they mean in a judgy way so so much. They kind of try to lighten the the uh, terminology there and explain themselves. But I think what they're saying is people are you know previously before there was especially before there was an industry and there was money to be made here and fame to be had. I don't know what kind of fame. I, you know, I, I don't think any of us are famous. Famous, but whatever, we'll call it fame. Um, there was a collective of people that were just, you know, interested in hacking techniques and um, time has shifted that a bit where people kind of go into, including like our, take us for instance, you know, we, I used to, man, I used to hack it. Like I would hack on anything, right? Like a lot of wireless stuff, uh, VoIP switches and routers, um, applet web applications, but it was diverse. My, my, my time was diverse. Um, and it was just now, uh, I think a lot of folks have kind of concentrated, especially as we, you know, you, you get a little older, a little bit more experienced, you start to narrow down you have a career. There is now an in industry. And so you see people kind of pare down on what they like. They talk about spyware, malware, things of that nature. Uh, people, uh, the underground having diverted more into sort of, you know, industry spaces, um, fair point to, to, to point out. Also, um, they point out that uh, academia started citing things published inside of FRAC that um, they believe that that uh, was not a positive, a net positive for uh, the underground collective, um, people that, you know, contributed to FRAC. I could see that. Um, again, I guess what I, if I'm distilling this down, we're talking about sort of the commercial commercialization, the um, usage in academia, as well as, um, I guess, a little bit of, you know, you get a little bit of infamy, a little bit of fame, a little bit of notoriety um, for some of the things you publish that might uh, change the dynamics. I get all that. Um, but I like to see that they're, they're trying to um, keep reinvigorate the community keep this alive. Um, but it's interesting because I, I didn't really, you know, I, I get where they're coming from. I guess I hadn't thought about those, those uh, really, the, especially the academia part, kind of, uh, you know, disrupting the community there. Um, but anyways, yeah, it's, 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 it's cool it's, to see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, speaking of like the commercialization of security, right? Like I, I think in general, it, it does make us all more secure but it, it had, it, it's hard to put into words what that felt like 20 odd years ago, right? Like the, the underground, the, the hacking underground, zine drops that would happen, um, you know, getting involved in 2600 groups or the early, you know, the DC groups, right? Like there, there's so many people in the space and it's not necessarily a bad thing, um, but it has changed you know, the research that's going on, it has changed what we consider to be, it's not really an underground anymore, right? It's, it's all very much in the forefront. Uh, people post for ego reasons, right? Like, uh, you know, everyone wants a CVE with their name on it. Um, and it's I, not just ego, it's it's resume building. It's a career yeah. builder. It's it's real, you know, we, we could say, yeah, I get it. I get it. Believe me, as, a, as, a, as somebody who, and you as well, we're providers for our families. I get yeah. it. You, yeah. you want you want your name out there. You want to build a career. It's actually very important. Um, 
yeah, I don't know though. Like if that's, if that's, uh, I mean, does that ruin it? I, you know, is that, I mean, it changes, it changes, it, right? it. Yeah, it changes yeah. it. And, and I don't think like, I, I mean, honestly, the fact that we have a podcast and we're talking about security issues, you know, uh, you know, and, and granted we don't necessarily dive too deep, but you know, as deep as frack does and some of the other research that's in there. Um, but just the fact that we are so public about it, right. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, that pro like we, I, I don't think we would have gone about it the same way. Right. Like it would have been all pseudonyms. It would have all been, um, you know, probably, you know, not showing faces. Right. Like there's there's all sorts of things that we probably would have been more concerned about. But nowadays it's a respectable, you know, position. Right. Like or it's a respectable profession. And um, but it, it, it has definitely changed different aspects of of hacking in general, right? Like, and I'm using the generic term for hacking, right? Like what it is that people go after, the research that they do, how they actually go about research. Um, we talk about bug bounty programs quite often and how that makes it more accessible to a larger amount of people. Um, but there still are kind of undergrounds that happen. Um, but I think it's more kind of culturally based. It's more country based depending on what different regimes think of security in general. Um, but sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, no, no, no. I just, I mean, like I, in two, I think it was 2009 when Rob Fuller finally convinced me to associate my real name with my hacker handle. And he created a video uh, where, you know, I didn't, I didn't even want my voice to be on the video. So I, I cause especially cause I was working on, you know, federal stuff at the time. Uh, so I was a little nervous about kind of just outing my hacker handle with my like personal information. Um, so he, like, I did a video even of how to, uh, I don't know, write code for burp suite extensions or something. I don't, I don't know, something along those lines. I, I really don't remember. Could have been something way more simple than that. I, I don't remember, but in any case, uh, he did the voiceover for it just cause I was so nervous. So to your point, that's how it used to be like you, that's why we had hacker handles. That's why. Uh, that's for me why I had the CK Tricky hacker handle. And it, and it took, you know, probably three, four years before someone convinced, and it was Rob Fuller, Mubix online, who uh, convinced me to um, to start opening up a little bit more about the work we were doing, you know, and uh, or I was doing. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and start participating more in community things, like physically in person, like CCDC and things like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because there was very much a, you know, coming up from like the BBS days, there was very much this feeling of, you don't want anyone to know what your real name is. Yeah, no, absolutely and, not. You don't want and, to know who you are. Yeah. And, you know, you, you interacted. Um, I mean, as a, you know, a young, you know, unknowledgeable, you know, teenager, right? Like it was nice to be able to jump into a, a forum where no one knew who you were and you could actually talk technical details and they wouldn't dismiss you because you were 15 right that was yeah. that, that was incredibly powerful at the time and then this goes back to like the you know being anonymous on the internet back in the day as well um i i, I think we were past that quite a bit um but in the security space it took a long time right there still are people that i know that don't associate their hacker handles from back in the day with their personal identities and it it's definitely their choice um, and then you also have 
right? You know, this, this idea that Frack is presenting about the egotistical or the commercialization of the security industry. Uh, yeah, like if you go back to Rainforest Puppy and his oh, okay. like dramatic, like, yeah, sequel injection and then his dramatic like exit from, uh, you know, vulnerability disclosure at, at Black Hat that year where he's just like, you know what, I'm out, right? It, it, it's... Like, I get it, right? Like, the industry has changed. Well, it is an industry now. That's the yeah. difference. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, so I always tell people, because they're like, well, you know, whenever someone asks me, like, you know, how did you get into this? How did you get, you know, a lot of times at, when they're asking for advice, too, like, how did you get started? I'm like, it's different. It's different for me than it was, than it's going to be for you. It's not the same. There, there wasn't an industry when I got started. When I, when I got into the industry, it was because somebody said, hey, there's actually, you know, a career path in this. You can come out to uh, Virginia and uh, work on some federal stuff. And um, they, they need this kind of stuff that you do in your off time. And I was like, okay, cool. And like, how much does it pay? And I was like, holy cow, that's like double what I'm making now at Charter. I'll come out there, you yeah. know? Yep. And, um, and I did it for fun. And like Larry kind of mentions that in the comments there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was purely for fun because there was no money in it. Um, at the time, there really wasn't. There was no money in it. It was just people sharing CDs with software or uh, floppy disk before that. Uh, you know, kind of stuff up, chatting. And I mean, for you, it was BBS. For me, it was probably a lot more IRC, if I'm yep. being honest. Um, probably a lot more IRC for me. And that was, I mean, and then also like, yeah, just... Uh, kind of just picking up whatever hacker magazines you could find, you know, there wasn't a lot there and none of it was really producing any money at the time. Like there mm -hmm. just, it wasn't, it was just purely like, I like computers and I want to see what else I can do with them. I think yep. it was for a lot of us. Well, that, I mean, that was it, right? Like, uh, you know, my first like professional job was more as a developer and at a, at like a system administrator and, you know, making this switch over to security at the time um, was like, okay, is it just like, I'm going to be like, you know, implementing firewall rules, um, but then helping build like a pen test team when there was no real concept of what that looked like, right? Um, mm -hmm. Like, how do, how do you evaluate security of Cisco devices? Like, and then, you know, having the network team tell you, you can't do that because you don't have your CCIE or whatever, right? Like it was just like uh, this, there was a lot of pushback and I, yeah, I, I mean, it's just, it, it's changed. And so the path into security now is a lot different, right? Mm -hmm. Like having the, the ability to do actual research to hit against companies like Microsoft GitHub and Apple and, you know, have them take you seriously as someone coming in as a, you know, as a researcher is, is amazing when it comes down to it. Uh, but it does, it does change the, it changes the discussion and it changes the industry. So. Absolutely. Many times money or, 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 uh, attentions involved. Yeah. It changes, uh, media attentions involved, which is funny because I, yeah, I, I think like the first time I actually saw somebody from, um, security on TV, and blew my mind that somebody who, who hacked on, it was actually, this is a long, long time ago. This is when the, 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 the idea of uh, voting machines, electronic voting, voting machines, um, 
it had just be, had just kind of come into uh, the forefront of media attention. And that was like, I think um, some sort of HBO or something like that special. And, um, and that was the first time I had seen somebody not in a movie, right? Not that like hackers or sneakers or whatever, like not, I mean, in real life, like being interviewed for this stuff. And I thought that was super cool and interesting. And, um, but up to that point, it was pretty, like you said, it was pretty much sharing information, sharing. And a lot of sharing too also was uh, man, were like manuals, manuals that were hard to come by. Manuals, you know, now you can go online, you can find a PDF anywhere. You couldn't find a PDF for stuff. You, if you, like I had, no joke, I had two giant tub, tub uh, Rubbermaid tubs of just manuals that I brought with me um, after I had left the military because there was a lot of like uh, just networking equipment manuals and things like that, server manuals I had collected along the way. I had asked for along the way. I had gotten through sharing. And that's actually how like a lot of information sharing uh, happened. We just literally physically traded you know, manuals or made copies. And that's how we like learned how to use systems. There was no like, yeah, there's no PDFs being downloaded and easy, you know, online manuals. So it's like esoteric tech stuff, you know? Anyways, it's just different now. It's legal. Also, that's the benefit too. Let's, let's talk about that. You, know, you, you can do this stuff and be, it can be legal. Yeah. Um, not have to buy, like in my house, I don't know about you, but I had like the actual server equipment, the routing equipment. And I, that's what I actually learned on. In addition to some other stuff that I'm not putting on YouTube, but whatever. We all like played around, did some great area stuff, um, but also had like physically, you know, home labs that we had to pay money for and piece together equipment off. Like uh, for me, I remember buying stuff off eBay when eBay was just new. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it was like you were clearing out stuff like a business was clearing out old Cisco devices or, you know what I mean? Like they're upgrading and they're just selling off everything or the the university, uh, you know, sales where they're clearing out a, a computer lab. And that's where we'd pick up equipment, right? Because yep. most likely it was it was a couple of years old, but it was still running, you know, Cisco iOS. It was still running like specific uh like interesting versions of, yeah, of data to actually put stuff together. I mean, that's, that's where I got all my experience with like Solaris was an old, you know, an old box that somebody was throwing out that I was like, Hey, I'll take that. I'll take a look at it. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and installing and trying to use that. And I mean, it, it goes all across the board, right? That was the way that we learned nowadays with VMware, with Docker, with other things, like we tend to abstract out. I mean, this goes back out to like BGP routers and things like that, right? Like we're 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 running on top of a layer that maybe we don't understand so well. Yeah, yeah, Larry. We all bought so much Sun Microsystems stuff, right? That's a reason why Oracle is still or Sun was so. Uh, yeah, they were so dominant back in the day. Uh, but we could go back and talk about Deck Alphas or even like some of the old. Uh, mainframe systems but a lot of that even even second hand was really expensive so yeah alpha deck alphas there was some good stuff there right um which was uh, yeah like now we're just getting all nostalgic we could talk about linux back in the day you're uh muted ken we lost ken woohoo doesn't seem to be connected. I don't know what's going on now. 
he's still running on one of those old uh, deck alphas. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I wonder on the, the sun stuff like that, Larry, I, Larry's just commenting in Slack and responding to him in real time, because I guess that's what we're doing today. Um, do, are you able to, are those still up and running? Like those old sun ultras. Can you still, there? I'm back by the way. Sorry. I'm back. Yeah. I don't know what happened, man. Like all my Bluetooth devices just cut out. Like I couldn't hear you all of a sudden my headphones, my keyboard, my uh, trackpad weren't working. I don't know what happened. It's probably a Facebook outage. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, and those old those devices, I mean, that, that's just it. Larry's saying that his are still, they're still up and running, right? Those old sun yep. systems, they were built like, yeah, like, just bulletproof right like it you know most of the time people would get rid of them just because they you know they had faster stuff that had come up but they you know they're serviceable i mean i'm it doesn't surprise me to walk into isps and they're still running an old ultra 5 or an old ultra 20 that handles you know authentication or you know some port some part of the network yeah, yeah. just yep just change out the cmos battery and they're still going awesome well, cool. I, I, you know, that, that was a nice walk down, you know, memory lane. Memory there, lane. But, yeah. But, but maybe we should talk about something newer, right? You had a couple articles yeah, I, you want to discuss. Actually, uh, I just, I figured I'd talk like uh, a little bit real quick about um, paved paths. And the reason I say that is there was, there's a little bit of Twitter uh, activity that kind of began to touch upon it. Um, and I felt like maybe expanding upon that. I don't know. If that's uh, even something people are curious why you would want a paved path, what a paved path is. But uh, for the next few minutes, I figure we can at least address it. Um, so for context, you know, there was kind of a Twitter discussion about uh, kind of like taking an attack like XSS, for instance. This is actually the specific XSS or XSS was the specific thing mentioned and kind of talked about all the kind of the same, I don't want to rehash the same stuff we always talk about, how it's kind of like a a bigger symptom of, uh, or it's a symptom of a bigger issue rather. Um, you can do things with your framework to harden against this. You can do, uh, you can have CSP, et cetera, et cetera, right? Fun stuff. But um, I think it brought up a, like, a, a point I kind of wanted to discuss, which was like, why pave paths? Like just real quickly. So, and then let's just set the context on a paved path for those that aren't as familiar. So, um, now we could say uh, I don't know what that article is, but that looks really interesting. But that, that that's where that's where Netflix talks about their paved road, right? So oh. just keep keep on going. Heck yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no. So and it, this, is, this is actually really um, so. There's a few few points to, to sort of talk about. But first, path paved path. So paved path is sort sort of a way to have um, in in the context that I'm speaking to it, an engineer kind of develop whatever they're going to develop. Um, using tools and processes that are well-defined that uh, we're all familiar with. So for instance, if you decided as a developer, you wanted today to just try this brand new web framework uh, that um, uh, was just released and it looks pretty cool and you want to put that into production, no, not going to happen, right? You can develop uh, in your locally or whatever, but in terms of that being something that people are going to collaborate on, contribute to, and push to production. It's something that's nobody knows, right? Like if it's, if it's something nobody knows, if it's something there's no tooling built around, 
if um, there's no like security requirements or uh, just in general, like engineering things like testing and whatnot that you would typically want on an application, then it shouldn't reach production, right? Like it should be well vetted. And I think that that's kind of the idea of a paved path, but like we should expand a little bit more about the things that you can do. So for instance, you could take, uh, take us for instance, like we have definitely overwritten certain um, semi-dangerous depending on how they're used methods, right? Uh, functions within a certain framework that I think most, so Rails, right? Um, <laughs> And also, and, and I'll get beyond just that, but I think like uh, overriding those unsafe functions, having sort of uh, ways to produce HTML and markdown that are like, if you go outside of that, there's triggers and warnings and um, uh, things will break. Um, there, there's sort of a, a making things um, easy in a, in a sense, right? And safe, there's tooling, there's processes, um, well-defined criteria, pricing, linting that goes on. So everybody, everybody's like feels pretty, pretty good about whatever you're developing. Um, now, what beyond overriding unsafe methods or whatever, there there are other things that, that, that make it very valuable. So, for instance, if you're if you're if you're building secure code requirements, which you should do, right? I mean, if you want a new application to come online wherever you work. Uh, it should have a base minimum security hygiene. I think we can all agree on that. And I'm just only going to talk about the security aspect because that's what this is, right? Security podcast. We, there's obviously other functional engineering things we could discuss, but we're focused on security aspects. So you can, for instance, um, let's say you want certain security headers just by default uh, on your application. Well, it's very easy if you have paved paths and you say, well, we support, say, these three frameworks and we know the libraries or the framework, whatever's built into the framework, we know how to actually configure whatever thing we want you to configure. So if we tell you that this is a requirement, we can then subsequently tell you, here are the best ways to implement it and what we've done elsewhere on the other applications built on these three frameworks. So for a secure code requirement and also making it easy, and, and this is the thing I really wanna pinpoint or not pinpoint, but touch upon, it's not just for making things secure, uh, or it is, but it, it's it's also making things easy to make secure, if that makes sense. So having stories for how internally your services securely communicate with one another, um, having a story for how you're safely transmitting data between uh, certain locations. Um, so there's just a ton of things that you can sort of make easier for developers that aren't out of the gate easy, right? how to do validation if you're receiving webhooks, things like that that are just repeatable, reusable, and used elsewhere. And the reason you want to do that is the easier you make something, the more, uh, the, the, the less friction that there is, the, the more likely people are to actually implement whatever thing it is you want them to implement. So that's one uh, crucial element to all of this. I also think when we talk about tooling, it's pretty difficult to implement tooling in CI that's going to catch bugs if you don't have tooling for whatever someone's developing for. This is a pretty obvious case where if you know you don't have static analysis or linting rules or whatever, whatever stem grep, whatever you're using, if you don't have it set up for the specific patterns that you are 
accustomed to seeing because it's based on a specific set of frameworks or technologies, then it's, it's going to be kind of the wild west. So anything that gets developed outside of that is going to be kind of like, I don't know. You know, this is true for sure. Um, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before where we had like a template and in the secure code training, definitely we've talked about this where, you know, there was like this uh, worst case scenario of different hodgepodge of new technologies no one had ever seen, new templating language no one had ever seen. The documentation for that templating language was god awful. It was terrible. And it didn't even tell you which operators actually produced like just basic XSS because they don't do anything with the data other than just represent it, you know, here, present, present your XSS, you know, <laughs> uh, just echo it right back out. So they don't tell you any of this. And this is what makes it really difficult for security engineers to keep, you know, software engineers secure uh, if they don't follow sort of these, these patterns. And then there's just sort of like the uh, talking about patterns. There's kind of the guidelines that uh, you want to follow. There's the linting rules you want to stay within. And there are the methods that you want to use that are, uh, that are safe. And if I'm going to provide you secure code training, isn't it great if I can just give you, like I said, a few frameworks to choose from. We've got the training that is very, very specific for those I mean, it's great to talk about like high level generic stuff, but I got to tell you, I think the most impactful is when you can dig right down into whatever an engineer is going to write software for and say, here's explicitly for the things you want to do, some things to look for, how to do it right. Here's the exact patterns. And how would you do that if anybody just could show up with whatever technology stack they wanted, it would be pretty difficult. And I know that there are probably places that, and if, if you are watching and you're a place that has figured this out, you can you can do all the same stuff and anybody can just add whatever framework they want. I would love to hear from you. I know Seth would love to hear from you. But I think on the whole, this is the value of paid patents. So anyways, this is sort of what I want to just chat about, Seth. Any thoughts there from you? Anything you wanted to add to? Yeah, it's a, I, I mean, it's an interesting problem, right? Like, and... I, I know in like m most organizations, right? Like you go get hired as a developer at, you know, XYZ large corporation, they're going to give you the the list of approved paths, like uh, the, the list of approved languages and frameworks, right? They're at .NET shop, they're in Microsoft shop. You, you are using ASP.NET version 4.5, right? Like it just, that's what they're currently supporting. Um, so that they can get their applications out the door. And that it's not always a security issue or a security reasoning that's behind that. Most of the time it's just, hey, we don't want to have to support 500 different languages and frameworks to be able to do the business stuff that we need to be able to do. Um, and it, it doesn't mean that it's it's not a bad thing, right? Like it, it, it does make your life easier as a security engineer or an application security person to get to know what those frameworks are that are actually supported. Um, but at times they're so out of date that it also causes more problems than it's worth, right? Like you, you guys are very dynamic at, at GitHub. I know you are, you're, you're, you're forward thinking as far as security is concerned, but most of the organizations that I walk into, small, medium-sized businesses, really have no clue as to what security is even going into their product or what, uh, what languages are being supported, right? Like old versions of Java, old versions of you know, jQuery, of, uh, of everything under the sun because uh, they, they just don't have the capacity or the staff 
to actually look into that. And, and that's where it comes down to what is it that we're providing as far as tooling is concerned from a, an industry perspective and how do people use that that don't have the budget of a Netflix, that don't have the budget of a GitHub or a Microsoft? Uh, I, because I don't see a solution that's out there that's easily implemented. It's great that we have some grip, um, but you know most organizations that I run into struggle with just just standard DevOps practices and making sure what's in production is reflective of what got tested in dev or stage if they even have those environments right ouch that's yeah that's kind of a that's a but i feel like that also that there are other issues there yeah oh yeah yeah they're definitely staging is. A, there's a, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, at that point we're not i think we should nitpick more about the engineering practices than we would the security and we've worked yeah. up to then introducing security as an additional concern but you got to start somewhere there and i think it's not with security necessarily. And I and I have organizations sure. that I've worked with it in like more startup style, right? That have come in, you know, three, four years ago when we started working with them that were in that in that boat. And I remember having discussions about let's take a step back, right? Because you're asking me how you can get hacked. And I'm telling you, until you can do this reliably, that it doesn't make it doesn't it doesn't matter if you can get hacked or not, right? If someone finds SQL injection, yes, that's a concern. And we can talk about some of those like high risk issues. Right. But until you can actually push to AWS in a secure manner and do it like repeatably over and over, I like we, we really shouldn't, we, we shouldn't spend a lot of time on security because your engineering practices aren't mature enough. And I, it, it I don't know. From a, from I, a consulting perspective, it's hard to tell a, cl a client, guess what? Don't give me money yet because you're yeah. not ready for what I'm going to tell you. Um, right. And well, it's a different yeah. role. It's a it's, it's really it's consultative and not necessarily it's sort of like let's guide you to where which is and I kind of did want to go back to because the first part of what you were saying, you were really framing it in the way of what is engineering doing and then let's Let's sort of react. And I and I actually, I think that's the right way to do it. I don't think, I want to be clear on this. I don't think security should be saying, you can only use these X technologies unless it's a clearly bad option, right? There are clearly bad options. Won't go into <coughs> it. There are clearly... <coughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Won't go into it, <laughs> me personally. There are some, definitely some, uh, some bad options for sure. But unless it's a clearly bad option, I think at that point, your job is to primarily decide what are, what is, what is the, what's making engineers productive, right? What are they using? What, and then let me figure out, and you talk about this quite a bit too. You talk about how, look at how they're doing testing. Look at how they're running things in CI. Piggyback off that. Piggyback mm -hmm. off their processes. Don't try to like change it. Don't try to like, unless it's, again, unless we're talking, let's just throw out the window any clearly bad options, right? Talking about just like things, it's just more of an opinionated type standpoint. I think it does make a lot of sense to frame it in like, what, how do I make, they're already doing things. How do I piggyback off those things? And how do I help them continue to do those things, but do them in a secure way? So I, again, just, I want to be clear. I don't think you should be like, hey, these are the only technologies that you are allowed to use. Yeah, and I mean, and that's just it, right? Like I, I, 
I'm tired of being looked at, you know, over the course of my career, I'm tired of being looked at as the agent of no, right? And, and I know a lot of developers have gotten over that now, but that's still the initial reaction I get from from a, you know, of a, a developer is like, oh, you're security. You're going to tell me what I can't do. Um, and the, the paved path idea gets around that because I like, I'm more of the approach, hey, what is it that you're, you're trying to accomplish and how can I help you do that in a secure manner within the framework of what you're already doing and be a partner as opposed to, no, guess what? Like, I, like I, it's tongue in cheek. I say, don't use PHP. I would never choose to build something on PHP, but if you're doing it, guess what? There are ways to do it securely, right? Like, uh, and I've seen organizations. Unplug it. Like that's what Facebook decided to do is just unplug it all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but th that's just it, right? Like, Hey, like, let's make sure that you're using up-to-date frameworks. Let's make sure that you are, you know, doing the stuff that needs to be done in order to produce secure code. Uh, but until you as an organization and your developers are mature enough to be able to integrate that in, uh, there's probably other things that need to be addressed as far as, you know, how that, what that paved path looks like. If we're introducing just new frameworks every two weeks, you're never going to be secure. It's yeah. just, you know, that's, that's, that's how you need to view it. It's got to be stable enough that you can serve things up in a secure manner. Right now there's someone watching this who's like dealing with that situation. And, yeah. Uh, there, there's help. There is help. If you want to call 1-800-SETH-LAW, we'll guide you through that. I don't know what address that, where that's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, I have exactly. no idea. Don't, don't call that number. I don't, I don't know where that's going to go. Um, no, but, um, yeah, they're, they're actually, and this is something interesting. Like in a healthy engineering culture, there are going to be changes, but there's not going to be churn, like you said, where it's like every two weeks there. But you should expect to keep an eye on what, like, it, especially I can say where I work, you know, we've easily tripled, if not quadrupled in size. So I have a lot more engineers to work with. Um, which means a lot more tools. And again, in a healthy environment, which I like to think it's pretty fairly healthy in engineering environment, there's new stuff that pops up. And the only way you kind of know about it is engaging in the spaces that engineers are. Um, I mean, you, we do have obviously like uh, a security review process where new things that go online, they, and features, services, whatever, they go through that. But, you know, um, that doesn't, that's a little kind of late in the process. I think it's, it's best to kind of keep an eye on what, engineers are interested in what people are, what projects, you know, they're kind of digging into and what technology stacks they're digging into and start to, you know, just be a part of those conversations or just keep an eye on things and, and try to adapt to, to what you think is going to be, you know, the, the next technology wave of technology changes, because there will be changes. And that's, that's the only healthy way I think for an engineering org to, uh, to move, but it, it, it shouldn't be, you know, like just willy nilly throwing whatever online doesn't go through a process, like some different framework every couple of weeks, like you said, or some different, you know, oh, this looks cool. Let me jump on this. You know, that's not healthy. And, 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 you know, I think again, in a healthy engineering environment, it's not actually that practical either, just because you're going to have a lot of like linting rules and um, style, style guides and things like that, that people are going to follow, should be following. And if they don't follow, truthfully, 
there's tools to bark at you and say it's not ready. And also peer review process. So yeah, it's, um, I don't know. It's definitely an interesting thing to, uh, to sort of adapt to the new technology stacks. But uh, I think paid paths are really worthwhile. I like that Spotify. Um, yeah. Yeah. I threw that one article there. You posted. Like, but both of those are interesting, right? Like, uh, you know, uh, I know Netflix has been very open about what their paved paths look like and why they're doing it, especially from a security perspective. Um, you know, we've heard them speak multiple times on paved paths and how it does enable their developers to be uh, more efficient and even security to be more efficient and making sure that everything is as expected. And uh, yeah, that I mean, the same thing goes there at, Spot, at Spotify. So. Check those articles yeah. out. Um, let us know how you're doing paved paths. Because I, I would be interested because I, I do see, man, I see so much of just the willy-nilly like cowboying that goes on um, from a DevOps perspective, from a security perspective. And it, it I know it's mainly because I deal with, you know, more immature organizations as a consultant. Um, I'm getting pulled into organizations that are trying to build out something like a paved path or they're, you know, they're just at the beginnings of that and are not quite sure how to establish it. There's only one or two engineers, right? Like all of these different competing business needs and requirements end up in insecure configurations, ends up in exploits, it ends up in other things when, and it's hard to tell them that this is, this is what you should be going out and doing. Like, this is where you should start as opposed to go secure all the things. I mean, it's easy for me to identify problems and tell them to go secure them. But if they don't, if they don't resolve those like root issues within the engineering process, um, it does feel a little bit like I'm spinning my wheels. So tell me how you're doing it, right? Like either in the comments, jump into absolute AppSec Slack and let's have a discussion about it. Cause I like, I am really truly interested on how that happens in smaller organizations, because I've seen it in large organizations, but smaller organizations, it's a harder discussion and it's a harder process to implement. Yeah, definitely uh, reach out to us in the comments and Slack. Like Seth said, tweet at us. We can get a tweet thread going. Um, I should be actually able to watch Twitter, hopefully, this week. We'll see. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, we will, we will get back to you and address it. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. is there anything else you want to talk about today or we, I think no, we're I, probably, probably at the end. Yeah. I, I think we're, we're pushing it at, on time. Um, if there is something else that pops up that you want to talk about, or you want us to address next week, we will be back. Uh, send us an email. Um, I think it's just info at absoluteapsec.com or jump in Slack, DM us on Twitter. i uh, love to love to keep the conversation going so awesome awesome all right well thanks everybody for joining today thank you yeah thanks we'll see everybody next week <laughs>